I think all schools in kindergarten should be inclusive schools. I wish my kids will have this kind of education who can see every kid and look at every kid as special to create communities of kindness. That's the way to heal and to change Israel. I'm Gil Galanos and welcome to Storymark, a show about leaders, the moments that made them and the mark they leave. On today's show, educator and social entrepreneur, Adi Altruner. Known for her advocacy for children, as a teenager, Adi founded Krembo Wings, a youth movement in Israel for those both with and without special needs. She's also the founder of Memories at Home, an alternative program for commemorating the Holocaust. And a couple of years ago, she founded her third organization, INCLU, a nonprofit promoting inclusive public education in Israel. I'm inspired by Adi's tireless efforts and championing inclusivity. Everyone has disabilities, as she puts it. It is with this unique lens that she can communicate and lead so successfully. Thanks to a particular television commercial, at the age of 12, Adi began volunteering at ILAN, an Israeli organization for children with physical disabilities. And this is where her journey begins. I saw a TV commercial and... In the TV commercial, there was a, like a little girl and she seemed very sweet and I wanted to be her friend. And they told me that she doesn't live next to me, but there is another kid that lives like around the block and he would love me to be his personal tutor. And they told me that he had a CP, cerebral palsy, and that he can't walk and he can't speak. And they wanted to come once a week for one hour to be with him and... And I remember that when I first met him, he was three. And immediately I fell in love with him. And it felt like, in spite of the fact that he can't speak, that he understands me more than anyone else. And we used to do everything together. And it grew up from, you know, once a week, one hour to almost every day. And uh, his family, they become like a second family to me. Through them and through him, I learned that we all have disabilities. Then at the age of 16, you decided to start an organization. Growing up next to him, I, th- I learned that the biggest need is not the fact that he can't walk or he can't speak, is that the lack of social framework. So I thought that a good solution to that need would be if he will join a youth movement, because then he will have friends and social life. But the youth movement didn't want to accept people with disabilities back then. And that's where I learned that not every kid in Israel can be part. And then I thought I I want to start a youth movement that will accept everybody. Because of him and I was part of the, you know, the family, I knew a lot of kids that studied with him. So I knew their families and I asked them if they would like to join. And I went in my school, in my class, and I asked if they would want to be personal tutors to join this youth movement. And I uh, matched between uh, them and the kids and they went to their homes and we learned to know each other. And then we met once a week for like three hours and we just played, you know, hide and seek games. It was very, very basic, but it was like the biggest thing for, for us, for them. We're talking about Krembo Wings. Uh-huh. What's the story behind the name? Krembo is like an Israeli sweet. It's very popular here, especially in the winter. And the way they make krembos or the way they wrap krembos is actually it's in the individual 
hand rub because it's too gentle, it's too sensitive for a machine. So it was, for me, it felt like this is what I'm trying to do so that every kid will come and will individually will kind of, you know, see him or her and wings so that we can spread our wings and they won't be like a kid that would be left behind. A few years after starting uh, Krembo Wings, you were supposed to be drafted and go to the Israeli Defense Forces, which is mandatory for most Israelis. And I read somewhere that you were hesitant and you were thinking maybe not to go to the army. I was worried about Krembo Wings. I thought to myself, okay, I will contribute much more if I will continue what I'm doing now. But I was looking for a role that I could do while I'm continuing to do that. So, so what did you end up doing? At the army. <laughs> I started the army band. And after a year, I transitioned to become like a teacher for five graders. So then at some point you, you traveled to India. Was that like a typical after the army yeah. trip that most Israelis do? Yes. And why did you choose India? Because I wanted to meet a spiritual leader called Amma. She's famous for her hugs. She's an Indian guru. She's a hugging saint. And I wanted to meet her, so I, I went there. In 10 days, I'm traveling to India for Vipassana in Jaipur. So huh. wish me Amazing. luck. First time. Amazing. I don't think it's going to be a lot of hugs, but it's going to be a lot of silence and meditation. Huh? Like you. Move forward to 2009 and Israel's ninth president, Shimon Peres presented you with the Presidential Award for Leading Social Change. No, it's an important one because it was the first time that it wasn't an award that I personally received, rather the organization received it. I remember uh, Shimon Peres asking me, how do you feel about the fact that you didn't receive the award, rather the organization received it? And I remember I was surprised that the president is even talking to me, you know. And now he's asking me this weird question. So I told him that I feel good. I feel happy that it's not about me. And then he said, I did this in order to give you a lesson. So I asked him why. And he said, a social entrepreneur is somebody who's given a gift to the world. And once you give it, it's no longer yours. And if you did a great job, what you established and what you created will continue and be existent without you, even greater without you. And founders tend to overstay the welcome. And when you have to leave, leave. And make sure that the organization is better and you can move on to other things. And I remember looking at him and I was like, what? <laughs> You're saying that I need to leave Kremlin Wings. This is the only thing I know how to do and what to do. And what if I will leave and it will crash and collapse. What if they will do better without me? What if I'll be forgotten? And he said, so take your egos and fear to the gym. <laughs> so I remember asking him back, so when do you know when is the right time to live? Is it now? Is it when? So he was kind of joking and smiling and saying, you know, now you're the CEO, next you'll probably be the chair. Once you become the president, you know, that's, that's your cue. Because when you are the president of something, that's your last role. Adi, in 2010, you founded another organization or program called Zikaron Basalon, Remembrance in the Living Room, grassroots initiative in which individual Holocaust survivors address up to 50 people in, in a home setting. 
What was the inspiration behind that? It's not about Holocaust survivor. Most of, most of the salons today's second generation recorded testimonies. We do have, we still have 36,000 survivors in Israel that participate. And in the U.S. about 10,000 and other places. But most of the salons is second and third and recorded testimonies. And I think that the biggest thing is about the open conversation about what we can learn and what values we can drive to our lives today and how the memory of the, the Holocaust can serve as a compass for being better people. And this alternative gatherings and in people's houses is something that is very special because people design their own experience. It's not like a ceremony or just watching a video. You're being active and you ask yourself questions and you listen to stories. What inspired you to start that? In Israel, the Holocaust Remembers Days is really big. We have ceremonies, we have the sirens, the national television and the radio station, everything. They play, you know, sad songs. So 10 years ago, I was driving my car and there was lots of sad songs. And I was talking to my mom and I asked her what happened if there was like a terror attack or like what happened. So she said, it's the Holocaust Remembers Day. And I told her, wow, how can it be that I forgot? So she said, because you're not at school, so you don't have the ceremony, you're not in army, you don't have the ceremony, you don't watch television. And, you know, I don't have anyone in my family that were there. And then she asked me, what am I planning to do today? And I told her, I don't know, to watch Schindler's List. Like, what What am I supposed to do? And she said that she's going to the official ceremony of Tel Aviv Municipality. So I went with her because I kind of felt bad that I'm not doing anything. And when I went into the hall, I saw that I'm kind of the only one under the age of 60 in the crowd. Hmm. And I was asking myself, where is everyone? Where are all the people my age? And the ceremony started with the survivors lighting the torch. And then kind of it felt to me the understanding that we we're the last one to know them in person. And the ceremony was very boring. Like the very, it was a very traditional Holocaust ceremony. I didn't feel anything. I was walking, thinking to myself where this day will be in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And why do I need to remember the Holocaust? And I was walking to my car and then I heard... people shouting from like a living room. And I was looking from the street to that salon, to that living room. And I saw maybe 20 people sitting in a living room watching the television. It was a soccer game. Oh, wow. And I remember watching them and thinking to myself, okay, now I know who's everybody my age. They're watching the soccer game. But then I was looking at the salon and I was like okay but maybe this is what I need maybe I don't need a ceremony I need like an informal gathering with my friends during the holocaust remembers day not because I have a grandma that was there because there is something for me now and then kind of the next year I was sending a mail to maybe 10 or 15 of my friends sharing them with everything that I just shared with you inviting them to my home to an event and I, I created this for myself because I was looking for a way and 40 people came to my house friends neighbors I created an experience you know I invited a Holocaust survivor named Hannah to share her story and I remember the first thing she said in the living room she said I hope not to disappoint you because I wasn't in Auschwitz and I don't have the number in my hand and I was just a little girl so I was just escaping and I, I hope my story will be enough 
And she shared her story, who was so inspiring and so moving. It was not like six million. It was one person who we just met, whose story, now it was ours. It transitioned from a historical event to our story, you know? And we asked her questions, and it felt that all the recognition that she never received in her life, she received in my own living room and that evening, you know, with those random people. And the last thing she told us, she said, you know, the one thing that will always bother the survivors till the last day we will close our eyes and leave this planet is the shame, is the blame. We asked her for what? She said that why we survived and they didn't. And, and she said, now that I met you, I understand why. And then she said, thank you. Then she left and we continued and a friend kind of took out a guitar and played and we sang together and we cried and we were angry and lots of things happened that evening, but it was very inspiring and very moving. We need to make sure that the memory of the Holocaust won't be dependent on the presence of the survivors. But the most important thing is the conversations and how it affects our lives today. Then I went back to my salon, to all the people who were there, and I, was, I told them, okay, next year, you do it in your own home. So the next year, there were already like 40 salons, and in each one of them, there was a story of someone dead or alive. And we learned something from every salon. We learned what to do, what not to do. There was like a wisdom that was created from this scale. And then like I did a list of maybe 100 influencers, and I called them, I didn't know any one of them. I told them about the concept and they agreed to host. So if you go to the Zikonosan website, you won't see any logo. You won't see my name. Hmm. It's like a site that you can just sign in and get a manual of like a DIY concept of do it yourself. We can match you with survivor, second generation, but also you can find your own. There is also like lots of open conversations and everything you need from the sign to your house, to the door that evening, and know that you can give your neighbors, if it will be loud, to everything you need. And it grew very, very, very fast. When we hit the one million participants and hosts, we said, okay, now we need to make sure that those people will continue to do it every year. What inspired you to move to Google? I thought that it will be interesting for me to work in a corporate and to learn. And it was instead of going to study in university, I thought that I will gain a lot of tools and professional development, much more relevant if I'll go join the high tech. And then I'll come back and continue. So how was the experience for you? Very meaningful. <laughs> oh, in what ways? I learned so much. A lot of the things that I'm doing today, professionally, it was a big jump for me. I learned a lot. And what were some of the areas that you were responsible for? I was the head of Google for Education. So you remain in the space of education, but within corporate. Yeah, but it's very different. It's like top down, you have money. A lot of the way I think and work is from what I learned there. It was a very, very great place to be in. In 2017, you founded yet another organization called INCLU to promote inclusive education in Israel's public schools. I always wanted, after Crumb Wings, to think how we can do it 
the formal education system. So it was even before I joined Google, it was I knew that I'm joining Google to gain skills, but I will leave Google to start a school network. I truly believe if you want to influence what's happening here in Israel, it's either you go to politics, which is not for me, or education. That's, <laughs> that's the only two options you have. I'm a big, big fan and advocate for the public education system in spite of everything. The Israeli education system is very, very, very segregated. Mm-hmm. If you're Orthodox, you'll go to an Orthodox school or an ultra-Orthodox or Arab. If it's a special education, it's divided as well. Like, you take one principle or one need or one element in people's identity and you design schools that is only for that rather than seeing the diversity in every person. So I was looking for a way to create a school network within the public sector. 25 to 30 percent of our kids have some kind of special need and we have bigger staff, smaller classes and very high-end innovative pedagogy that knows how to make sure that this diversity will become an asset and not a burden in terms of learning, of social-emotional, organizational, like every element. We have today 5,200 kids with 820 teachers. And now we're opening five more schools, including in the Arab sector. We have one high school and eight kindergartens. Where do you see that growing to? I think all schools in kindergarten should be inclusive schools. I wish my kids Hmm. will have this kind of education who can see every kid and look at every kid as special and seeing everyone as belong, regardless of anything, and working with parents with the afternoon programs to create communities of kindness. And I think that's the way to, to heal and to change Israel. I'd like to ask you a few questions that we ask each of our guests. What are you currently obsessed with? My pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> Giving birth. Bashar and good luck. Thank you. What is the one thing that most people get absolutely wrong about you? <laughs> that I read a lot. Oh, <laughs> they assume that you read a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And why isn't that the case? Because I have learning disabilities and it's very hard for me. What are you most optimistic about? The Israeli society. Tell me more. I think everybody is like depressed and I'm not. And finally, what's one piece of advice that you wish that someone would have given you at the start of your journey? I got so many advices that only can think of the good advices I got, but I think maybe to breathe more. Altrilla, it was amazing to have you on our show. Keep on doing these inspiring things and good luck. Thank you. And thank you for having me. You've been listening to Storymark. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, consider signing up for the Storymark newsletter, where we'll keep you up to date about upcoming guests. Visit storymarkpodcast.org to sign up. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Storymark. Storymark is brought to you by iTrex Studios. 
iTrek is a nonprofit that inspires tomorrow's leaders through peer-led week-long treks in Israel to experience its innovation, diversity, and complex reality firsthand. For more information, visit iTrek.org. I'm your host, Gil Galanos. Our producer is Patrick Emil, and associate producer is Rebecca Sebastian. Our editor is Zev Levi. Thanks for listening, and later out. See you next time.